0: Welcome back everybody to Post Wrestling. It's John Pollock here with you. If you are in and around the Toronto area, there's a very cool event going on tonight. It is a tribute to the Tragically Hip with all of the proceeds going to the Wildlife Preservation Canada's Bumblebee Recovery. And the man who is putting this together, he is no stranger if you have come up on the Ontario Independent Wrestling scene when he was under the moniker of Hornet. You now know him as WWE referee Daryl Sharma who joins us here at Post Wrestling. Daryl, how are you doing tonight?
1: I'm good, brother. It's good to be home. Good to be on I've uh, been listening to you for a long time. Even uh you, Mr John Pollock have, you know, I've actually I don't know if you even remember, but uh, you and I used to talk day about how we were gonna be in wrestling together and here we are on post wrestling.
0: I do remember. I I have I've watched from afar and, and seen uh all, all the heights that you have risen to, and here we are from the from uh, from the from the little uh, Toronto wrestling community. And here you are yeah. uh, now now back home this week. So, no, it's been very cool to watch uh, from afar just uh, where your career has gone and get, getting to see all the success that you've had.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that, man. And, uh, yeah, even, uh, you know, like you said, I started in Toronto, and I've always kept uh, Toronto in my heart. And, um, you know, that's why we're doing this Tragically Hip Tribute tonight and uh, to raise money for Wildlife Preservation Canada and help save the planet a little bit, you know?
0: Is this a cause that has been something that for a long time has been kind of near and dear to your heart? Tell us a little bit about uh, the impetus behind the show and kind of putting this idea together.
1: Yeah, so like it wasn't the bees specifically to begin with. It was just an overall environmental issue that I wanted to uh, bring attention to. So, you know, whether that's uh, plastic or pollution or, you know, recycling animals, uh, endangered animals, and, um, you know, after putting a lot of thought into it. And these are all things that I would like to do benefit conscious for as well. Like, I don't want to just do a a bees one tonight and then that's it and forget about everything. But um, uh, in thinking about what I can do for the environment, uh, I thought about the bees because I feel like this is something that is not... Well known, and so I wanted to bring attention to something that is not so well known. And uh, even when I started advertising this event and telling people about it, everybody, you know, started saying, "Look, we didn't even know that there was a bee problem." You know, right. so I'm I'm glad that I chose the bees because it, it's a it's a very serious problem. And um, you know, even like I was talking to somebody today, and they're like, you know, nobody's doing this for the bees because. Nobody cares about bees. And I was like, well, but it's not just about the bees. It's about me and you and everybody. Because once the bees go, the people go. This is a benefit concert for people and earth, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's one of those uh, causes that uh, people don't think about. It's something, you know, you can speak to this kind of at a larger scale of the amount of things that are critical to our living that we take for granted and don't really realize when things reach a critical state, typically until it's way too late.
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, we all live our lives day to day and we all, all obviously have a lot of our own things to deal with. We have our own jobs, our own families, and we rely on the professionals to save the planet. You know, like we know that there are scientists and biologists, actually the lead pollinator biologist for wildlife preservation Canada will be in attendance tonight. But, um, we rely on these people and we just think that the issue is going to be fixed. But these are just a few people like our day to day activities have to also uh, be thoughtful and mindful of the planet, you know, like using one time use plastic, for example, you know, it's a lot of plastic that we use is unnecessary, you know, so it's not just a relying on the people who chose their professions to save the planet, but uh, it's also our day to day
0: things. Do you see a lot of differences in terms of like you're someone that's originally from Toronto, you now live in the US kind of. Uh, The attitudes towards these causes, do they differ or do you see that it's uh, do you see commonalities, too, in the many places you travel to just the overall attitude towards these kinds of issues?
1: No, it is definitely different where you go. And and I don't know if it's a cultural thing. Like, I I don't want to place what it is that's, uh, you know, why it's different. But, uh, for example, my where I live in Florida, in Orlando, it doesn't even have a recycling program. You know, like the Orlando City recycling program is so poor that many, poor as in not effective, that uh, many, um, living communities like residential communities don't even have recycling, come like recycling pickup, you know? So, um, I think that Canadians or, you know, our, our system is, uh, is far more advanced than a lot of other places in terms of recycling and uh, environmental awareness. But, uh, you know, so with the bees, they tried to do an estimate on how many bees that there are. And over 600 hours, they only found three bees. So even though we are doing things for the environment, um, there's still work to be done.
0: Taking this back just to your your uh, wrestling days, uh, yeah. being up this week for SummerSlam week, uh, my by my count there were about nineteen wrestling shows going on, and you came up in a period where the Toronto wrestling scene was hardly thriving what has it been like for you just to kind of be an onlooker at the scene this week and see where it's gotten to where i think over the last number of years you're seeing way more consistent shows and that wasn't always the case and you were kind of in the midst of that where you had to go to other places and seek out those shows
1: yeah it's funny so when i started wrestling in 2002 we were still catching the tail end of like the attitude era so like the shows were good when i started and then it started declining, you know, into 2005, 2006. And like you said, I had to go wrestle in like Mexico or Japan or wherever, or even the States. I would go to the States every weekend because uh, there were more shows there. And I don't know what it was that was causing Toronto to decline, but I think part of it was, I remember, and there was like 20 companies in, um, in, uh, the Jeep greater Toronto area. And, um, I think, you know, just that oversaturation of shows and, and wrestlers caused a, um, a problem with, the. Uh, the quality of the shows and the attendance. Now I think uh, it's actually, it's, there's so many shows going on right now in Toronto that I, I don't even, I don't even know about, but um, they're all doing well. And uh, you know, so when I was building the ring for uh SummerSlam weekend, some of our stage hands were also building the ring for other shows. And uh, they were saying like, you know, this show drew 700 people and it was just like an indie show, which was like, like I said, that was at the height of like 2002, 2003 for us. So, I don't know, like, I'm not around to see what's changed, but uh, I'm glad that it did.
0: I I wanted to just run this one by you because uh, UWA Hardcore was a very interesting promotion here about a decade or so ago, and they brought in so many names, and uh, this this might be a little nostalgic for you, but this was a UWA Hardcore card in February of 2007, headlined by Chris Hero and Claudio Castagnoli against Ultimo Dragon and a mystery partner. Josh Prohibition versus Ruckus. We had Larry Sweeney versus Sanjay Dutt. Alex Shelley versus Danger Boy Derek Wilde. Asylum versus Jerry Lynn. And in the opener, Jimmy Jacobs and Tyler Black versus the Olsen Twins. And in our pre-show, Four Corner Survival, Ash, Extremo, Cody45, and A Young Hornet. That's uh,
1: crazy don't even remember that (laughs) it's so funny that a card so stacked like uh, many of those people uh i work with now like chris hero i see almost every day but uh i i don't know what year did you say that was 2006
0: this was i believe february of
1: 2007 yeah i don't i honestly don't even remember that
0: (laughs) you seem to always be like you mentioned going to england going to mexico going abroad and that seems to always you know be something uh among wrestlers, that you either have that kind of drive to kind of get outside of your comfort zone, go travel, go to places that you're going to become a better performer. Was that something that was kind of always instilled in you to, you know, learn the basics and then get out there, get on to as many shows as possible? Or was it something that you uh, later in your career saw, some of the restrictions of being in Canada versus going and, and finding other places to go?
1: No, so for me, like, it was a mix between, like, you know, my trainers, notorious TID and customing man saying like, you know, you got to travel to, uh, to be successful. Like there was a, a part of it was that was them telling me, you know, experiences through travel. But then uh, another part of it was just, I always just thought that's the way, the way that it was done, you know, like reading Chris Jericho's stories or, you know, listening to interviews from you interviewing people. Uh, that's just what I always thought you had to do to become successful. Like, all these Canadian Canadians that were successful, they traveled. So I just thought that's what you had to do, you know? And I want, these were also people that I looked up to. Like I say, Chris Jericho, I look up to him. So I wanted to do what he did.
0: Uh, Beyond uh, like custom made man, uh, Chris Tidwell, who were some of like the people kind of in your inner circle in, in this, like of, of kind of the, the Ontario guys.
1: Yeah. Well, Notorious CID the a custom-made man. Um, you know, custom-made man, sexy baby, Jamie Jackson and Otto Bond, who just recently passed away. They were the Hollywood Hunts right. and, uh, yeah, they, um, they took me under their wing when I really started out and then, uh, through them in their inner circle was also L'Artiste, uh, who I still talk to all the time. He lives in Florida too now as well. Um, but yeah, those were, those were the guys. And then, uh, um, from there, you know, I went to some wrestling in Mexico. I trained at arena Mexico and, uh, some other places there. And then I uh, went to Japan dragon gate. But, um, as far as Ontario, uh, yeah, those are my guys. When also, you get then, to, uh, you know, those, those are like the, the generation that trained us, but then, uh, minor circle after that was, you know, the Flatliners and RJ city.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's quite, it's quite the lineage. And, you know, you bring up, uh, bond who passed away this past January. Like what, a what an unbelievable personality he was i think on a on a larger stage uh, people would have just like this guy was just such so tremendous in that role um, and the hollywood hunks i mean that was like a great act that could go uh, all over the province and they you know in the late 90s and early 2000s they were they were among the standouts i felt
1: yeah and you know like if you really want to break it down like when these guys kind of left ontario like that was the exact same time that the attendance started going down and I don't, it's not just them as performers, but, uh, their leadership, you know, like they were locker room leaders. They made sure that uh, everybody was being brought in the right way. And then, um, when they started kind of leaving wrestling, uh, just like everybody just started becoming like random people kick started coming into a locker room out of the woodworks, you know? And I think, uh, that's what started kind of the decline of, uh, the Ontario wrestling scene.
0: As we fast forward, how did uh, you get on WWE's radar? Was that a, a tryout si- situation? And uh, tell us a bit about that as we go to around uh, 2016 when that happens.
1: Okay, yeah. So 2016, after you know years of sending in tapes and stuff like that, and, and talking with whoever the um, head of talent relations was at the time. Like you know, it went through so many people during my wrestling career. Um, eventually, you know, it was Canyon. Um, I was working as a trainer at the battle arts at the time. And also I was going to India to train at, um, to be a coach at Khali's Academy over there. And, uh, so Santino sent in a letter to Canyon Seaman and say, Hey, you got to give this guy a, a tryout. And, um, you know, I, we had already been talking Canyon and I, and, uh, you know, talent relations, we'd already been talking about like doing cruiserweight stuff and stuff like that. And then I said, yeah, he's on our radar. We're going to, you know, give him a tryout or whatever. And Santino said, like, no, you got to give him a tryout. And so, uh, Went down from a tryout and uh, nailed it. And um, they said, "Hey, we need a we need a referee. How do you feel about that?" And they said, "You know, we you've been wrestling a long time. Like, you know, how much longer do you think you can wrestle and stuff like that?" And I said, uh, "This job from as a referee, I'm going to take it." And uh, so I took it.
0: What was that adjustment like for you going from a wrestler to a referee? And was it a quick transition for you, or a, a longer process to go from one role to the other?
1: No, it's a pretty natural transition just because I had been wrestling long, so long, you know, so I knew what uh, what was needed of me when they explained to me what a referee's job in the WWE is. Um, you know, I, I, my first match in NXT was November 4th, 2016, and then I was on TV uh, pretty soon after that. I arrived at the Performance Center at the end of October, and I was already doing live events November 4th, so it was a pretty quick transition. I had a lot of help, too. I mean, in that place, like, you're you're around the best of the best between the coaches, the other referees, the talent. So I had a lot of help with me as well.
0: And what's kind of, the, like, a, a typical week for you uh, at, at the Performance Center? Is that where you're typically spending your days?
1: Uh, when I'm in Florida, yeah, I'm typically at the Performance Center. But th- there is no real typical week because uh, it depends, right. you know, if we have TV that week. You know, in NXT, you don't don't do TV every week. We tape it. So it depends if it's a TV week, if we have a road loop or if it's just Florida shows. Um, and as well, we always have like seminars coming in. So we have financial people coming to help us out or like, uh, you know, the concussion talks and stuff like that to help us as individuals. So every week can be different. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm there every day except for maybe Friday if there's a far road show
0: or whatever. It's interesting because uh, this past uh, week you had the match between uh, Akira Tozawa and it was Jack Gallagher on on 205 Live this week. And there's a moment in the match where uh, Tozawa gets cut on the forehead. And I'm just curious, in your position there, what are you looking for in that kind of a situation? Are you assessing uh, how significant of a cut is this? Is it impairing his vision? Uh, What's going through the referee's mind at that point and assessing a situation on live television?
1: So the first thing actually was not the blood that was an issue. It was that there was blood on the head, which means that it could be a head injury, a concussion, or something like that. So the first thing that – so, you know, he got hit, his head hit on the post, rolled out on the floor. When he got back in, you know, I just asked him, you know, I just did a concussion check or whatever, you know, it's our protocol. Like I said, we have these seminars. That's one of the seminars we have for referees is um, being a first responder to these things. So, uh, you know, I just checked on on his safety, if he was all there or whatever. And then, uh, you know, I back Jack, you can see on the video, I back Jack Gallagher off. I say, hey, I got to, you know, clean him up, check him out, whatever. So I go and I just want to talk to him for a little bit, you know, I make sure that he's all there. And then I said, okay, I'm gonna, just going to clean you up. And I clean up his cut and I, I have to see, like, is it going to keep pouring out or does it need to be stitched or glued immediately or, like, what is the situation there? Because um, obviously you want to reduce, uh, blood transfers and stuff like that. So, you know, I just cleaned him up. And then, um, and then I continued the match unless, uh, and I was ready to uh, stop it again if he needed to, but uh, it was fine from there. And Did then, you know, I just keep a, an eye, I just keep my eyes on him, make sure that right. uh, he's not like loopy or anything like that.
0: Do, do you find there's, there's a completely different mindset from when you're in that ring as a performer versus a referee? Does it require kind of a, you know, you're you're looking for things like this, whereas the wrestler, it's just, Go go go! And you've you've got your own set of priorities. Is it a drastic difference, just the mindset?
1: Yeah. So, like, um, you, know, I related kind of to like uh, before I was in the WWE. I was working construction as a general contractor. I had my own general contracting company, and um, when we used to build houses, you know, there was the plumber, there was the electrician. There was, uh, you know, different trades, and then there was they hired me as the general contractor to look over everything, and that's kind of the way the referee in the WWE is. You know, there's the wrestlers, it's the producers, there's the camera guys, there's the medical team, but then there's the referee that has to kind of overlook all of these pieces and make sure everything runs smoothly. You know, because everybody's got so much on their own plate that we got to put all these pieces together.
0: And so a week like this where you're up in Toronto, I mean, we've seen you like on, on 205 live and, but are you still strictly NXT? Where is, where are you largely uh set up right now?
1: Yeah, I'm still uh NXT based. Um, You know, I was on Raw, SmackDown as well, a couple of weeks ago. So for me, it's kind of like still fluid right now, but um NXT is my base, but uh, you know, it's just like, the same as talent sometimes they need you on different shows or whatever so you know so it's kind of fluid for me but uh, i am nxt based
0: it must be quite something now that you've been there as many years as you have to see what nxt has grown into the amount of talent that has gotten into there and just um you know ha- having a front row seat to just all of these very interesting moves and, and just seeing uh, the the growth of that place and and what and what's happening
1: I can't actually tell you how cool it is. That's my favorite thing about NXT is seeing somebody come from nothing or not from nothing, but does from scratch in the WWE and have to like, in some cases redevelop their identity. And then uh, I'll give you Elias as a perfect example. When I started there, you know, he was doing this, he was really fine tuning this character of Elias. And then uh, he moved up to main roster and, um, I think it was last year around Christmas time, not this past one, but the one before. I was home for Christmas, so I went to the Raw Live event at the Coca Cola Coliseum, and um, just here watching him and hearing him play to this crowd, uh, and he was playing like a Drake cover or whatever. But like afterwards, I went up to him. I was like, "Man, that was the coolest thing on the planet!" Like I- I'm so <laughs> proud of these guys. That like just like a few months ago, he was doing these shows in Florida in front of like 200 people. You know, so it, it's just, I'm so proud of these guys that like, we'll go from 200 people to sold out arenas and like just the the amount of work that they put into their characters, their wrestling, like, and, and to be a part of that too. Cause, um, part of our job at the PC for people like myself and Eddie and Drake, who, uh, were wrestlers before we, uh, we help out with the coaches. So like in Norman's class, Norman Smiley's class, uh, you know, he uses me off into, uh, Uh, demonstrate things wrestling-wise. And um, so some of these people, they have never wrestled a day in their life before they got here. And to have a hand in that, or or even on the drives, the car rides, you know, like uh, they'll pick our brain or whatever. And then to see them go and and do SummerSlam is uh, the most, it's just, it's so awesome.
0: It's also been so notable to see just such a wide variety of guest coaches that come in there. Is there one that just jumps out at you as someone you get in there on a Monday and wow, Kendo cautions here for instance.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we just had Gangrel. It's actually, it's so funny. Like, uh, I don't know. It's just mind blowing. We, we actually say that like uh, who, who's uh, who's going to walk through the doors this week. Like, you know, it's like x pot comes in. Like it's, you know, remember the Monday Night Wars? It was, like, exciting to see who's going to show up on Nitro, who's going to jump to Raw. Like, that's the new feeling for us on Mondays. It's like, who's going to be the guest coach this week? <laughs> that's the exciting thing. But actually, Asylum, was uh, from the Ontario NDC, and he now wrestles with Stone Rockwell, he was a guest coach a couple of weeks ago, and he knocked it out of the park. And, uh, you know, it would be good if another Canadian was uh, signed as a coach there. But uh, everybody liked him, and he knocked it out of the park. So, hopefully...
0: Do you have aspirations at some point down the road of getting back to, to training guys? And also, I mean, like you know so many aspects of the industry now, just from your experiences and, you know, at 34 years of age, I mean, you have just a wealth of years behind you. Is, is that something you look to as down the road? That would be a fun opportunity for you?
1: Yeah, actually um, I have been talked to about uh, coaching and, producing and stuff like that and it is something that i'd be very much interested in it was actually printed on a, a takeover by accident it said producer daryl sharma and um, all the coaches came and congratulated me i was like uh, that's a typo uh-huh. i think because i never knew about that but it's funny that even with this typo like nobody thought twice about it they were you know just thought yeah daryl's producing a match so you know I, they're already accepting of it so you know maybe one day it will happen
0: well uh I won't keep you too much longer here. I know that uh, it's a very busy day for you, but uh, my last thing here: you were doing the uh, the three way at Takeover on the weekend with Velveteen Dream, Pete Dunn, and Roderick Strong, and this featured uh, Velveteen Dream's entrance. And as a Canadian, uh, your your choice between Jacques Rougeau's "I'm the Mountie" versus the Fabulous Rougeau's theme. What what gets the nod for you? The Fabulous
1: Rougeau's. I still actually listen to that song from time to time. <laughs>
0: I think it's hands down the best theme that's ever been produced by. Yeah, the either that or um, uh,
1: the Beverly Brothers.
0: <laughs> yeah, they 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 don't get enough uh, nostalgic uh, love. I feel the Beverly Brothers, yeah. Bo and Blake. Uh, but yeah. let's uh, let's quickly uh, review everything that's uh, going down tonight. It's a tribute to the Tragically Hip, uh, which I have to imagine was a very important band to you, Daryl.
1: Yeah, it's my, one of my favorite bands of all time.
0: Yeah. It's happening at the Rock Pile, which is 5555 Dundas Street West. Again, all proceeds are going to the Wildlife Preservation uh, of Canada's uh, Bumblebee Recovery. It is Hornet Saves the Bees tonight with the Tragically Hip concert. Uh, doors are at 7 p.m., and you can go to Hip hiptribute.eventbrite.ca for tickets. Uh, Daryl will be on hand, and... This is a great event that you're putting together. Uh, and I'm so glad that we got to reconnect, Daryl, and have you on the show. This was a ton of fun to discuss.
1: Uh, to see everybody there.